you are so good to us. We praise you for your gospel message. For those of us that know you, we, we rejoice that you brought it to us, that you cared enough to rescue us out of our sin. Lord, help us now as we learn more about you and about your gospel and our part in it. Help us to learn what you want us to learn. Transform us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's nice to do things that bring about rejoicing, right? Uh, You parents, it's nice when you make a meal for your kids and your kids say, wow, that was actually really good. Thank you for making that meal. We've all trained our kids to say that, right? But uh, isn't that fun? Or uh, I was thinking about this with the Rubik's Cube that we just got. Christine bought a Rubik's Cube at a garage sale for the kids. And I'm like, yeah, right, that's for me. Ring it I never really had a Rubik's Cube before. And, and I heard it was kind of a mathematical deal. I'm like, I'm going to try this. So I've been kind of fooling around with the Rubik's Cube a little bit. And it took me a while, but I got to the point where I could get one side of it pretty much all figured out. And then after that, I started to see some other patterns. And I could kind of get more and more colors. And there are 54 colored cubes on a Rubik's Cube, and I can now get 40 of them in the right place. And I can imagine that if I were to ever get all 54, I would just, in the middle of my living room, probably just set it down, throw up my hands, and say, yes, I need the Rubik's Cube. Has anybody ever done the Rubik's Cube? Anybody in here? Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay, great. Uh, Tips. Okay, we need to talk later on. Don't take it apart. Yeah. Uh, Is that how you did it, Tom? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've done that. Another thing I was thinking about rejoicing, and I think some of you can relate to this, the feeling of being done with school. And I'm not just talking about a school year, I'm talking about when you're finally done. I remember graduating from college. That was after, you know, K through 12, plus four years of college, 17 years of schooling. I remember going into that last test thinking, okay, I know I need to do well on this test, but I'm just so excited to be done. And I I remember handing in that last test to Dr. Anderson, actually. We were just talking about him. And uh, I remember handing it in, going out into the hall, and just feeling like, this is awesome. I'm done. There are some things in life that bring rejoicing. The Bible tells us that there is something that we can be involved in that will bring rejoicing in heaven among the angels of God. And that something is evangelism. Evangelism is simply put, telling other people the good news about Jesus Christ. We can be involved in something that has eternity-long implications something that can bring great joy not only to to the people who come to Christ, but also to heaven itself. And it's not just something for the spiritual elite to do. It's not just for us pastors or for missionaries. Evangelism is something that we can all do. Any one of us who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord knows what we need to know in order to tell somebody else how they can know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We're entering now into the second half of this series that we've been going through, this discipleship series. This is lesson number six out of ten. In this discipleship series, we've been talking about how we must be disciples and how we must make disciples. As we're we're boiling down Christianity to its most basic parts, it, it has to do with following Christ and helping others follow Christ. Now, thankfully, people have told us the gospel message Now, those of us who know it, we are to take that message and share it with others. Because to be a disciple means that we become more like Christ. A disciple is a learner. We are to learn where to be taught from and become more like Christ. What did Christ do? He told us. In Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. If that's what Jesus was about, 
and if we want to be his disciples, we should join him in what he's doing. That's, that's our purpose here on earth. I'm not saying that it's our only purpose. You know, this discipleship series has ten lessons in it, and every one of those things should be our purpose as well. But evangelism takes a special place because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and we should join with him in that purpose as well. Our goal, simply put, to help people know Jesus as Savior and Lord and to grow in their faith. So wherever they're coming from, we teach them. If they don't yet know Christ, we share the gospel. That's evangelism. If they already know Christ, then we disciple them. And that's kind of what this whole series is about as well. There's other lessons that we can teach. But today we're focusing specifically on that part of sharing the gospel with people so that they can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And the goal here isn't simply presenting a gospel presentation and then leaving. I've used this analogy of dump truck evangelism before. It's not that we just back up to them, unload, and then get out of there as soon as we're done. Neither is the goal simply to get them to pray a prayer. I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ for six years, and we had lots of goals in regard to evangelism. We had goals of sharing the gospel with people. We had goals of seeing people pray the prayer to receive Jesus Christ. But we had one more, even more important goal, and this was officially from from the leadership down, more important goal than either of those two things was to see involved new believers. That's what we call them, involved new believers. Those are people that came to know Jesus Christ through our ministry and stayed involved and grew in their faith. So evangelism, again, is not just simply presenting the gospel and then running away. Evangelism is helping people know Jesus as Savior and Lord and helping them then grow in their faith. For the last 16 years, I've been engaging in evangelism. And after 16 years now, I can look back at actual people who have come to know the Lord and who are still walking with the Lord. And it's a joy for me to be able to, to do that. Now, do I say that because I'm some great evangelist and say, woohoo, way to go, Eric. No, I say that because I am so convinced of how good the gospel is. That as we proclaim this message to lost people, God is at work to draw people to himself. And people actually come to know the Lord and grow in their faith. The gospel message is so good and it must be shared with others. But we're not alone in this. What I want to show you today, I thought about simply preaching a message on Colossians 4, 2-6. That's probably my favorite passage in the Bible on evangelism. I've preached on it here before, I think at least two times, maybe even three times, and and I, I am going to get to it again in the second part of my sermon, but I want to do something else today. I want to show you God's heart in evangelism. I want to show you all, not all the things, I want to show you some of the things that God is doing behind the scenes before we ever say a word in evangelism. And the reason I want to do that is to encourage you all to show you that this is God's work. The work of saving lost people is God's work. And yes, he asks us to join with him, but it's encouraging to my soul to see all that he does first before we ever speak a word. So my sermon today has two sections. Section A is God's part in evangelism. And I thought about entitling it God's heart in evangelism because that's really what it is. But then part B is our part in evangelism. And for those of you that, that love filling in the blanks, have at it today. There's, there's lots of blanks in the bulletin. If you don't like filling in the blanks, don't worry about that. Just listen instead. Part A, 
God's part in evangelism. And again, this is just to show you all that God does before we ever say a word. It's meant to encourage us. First part, we've got to start here, is the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, the Apostle Paul writes, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Without the cross, there is no good news. But praise the Lord, Jesus died for our sins. The death that Jesus died, he died for us. That's, I love those two little words in the communion passage that we have. For us. Christ took our sins upon himself, paid the penalty that we could never pay. And the Bible says then that his death really, in a very true spiritual way, is our death. That we died to ourselves, we died with Christ, and because Christ rose to new life, we too have risen again to new life and will rise again to new life. Because Jesus lives, we can live too, and this is the heart of the gospel. God doesn't want us to stay dead. He wants us to know him. He wants us to have life. That's what the cross is about. That's, and I've said it this way before, that I believe that our universe was created so that we could see God's love and God's holiness coming perfectly together in the cross. This is God's heart, and he wants people to know it. Second point under, point, under part A, is that God draws people to Jesus. God draws people to Jesus. John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. No one comes to, the Father, or comes to Jesus unless the Father draws. Our job in evangelism is not to drag people to Jesus. Sometimes maybe that's what it feels like if we have a very man-centered view of evangelism. Our job is not to drag people because God is the one at work drawing people to Jesus Christ. This is who he is. This is his heart for lost people. And this is reassuring to me because if God's the one who's drawing, it's not my clever words or even my effort that saves people. It is God who brings people to Jesus. So I want you to remember that as as we're going to get to our part in evangelism, I want you to remember that God is at work drawing people. We don't have to be the ones who drag people to Jesus. Third part, the Holy Spirit convicts people. The Holy Spirit convicts people. In John 16, 8, Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit and he says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The word convict here carries with it the idea of convincing So the truth is that we are all sinners. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world convincing people of that message. And by the way, this is going to come up a few times in my sermon today. When the Apostle John uses the word world in his gospel, he's talking about the sinfulness or the the sinful people of the world. So when it says that the Holy Spirit is at work convicting the world, It's talking about the lost people in the world. The Holy Spirit is at work to convince people that they are sinners and that they need a Savior. This happens without us doing anything. God is at work convicting people. Now, it it happens without us doing anything, but I also think that it happens in concert with us proclaiming the gospel message, and we'll get to that later. So when we're sharing the gospel, when we're talking to people about sin and about a Savior, 
The Holy Spirit is at work convincing people of their need for a Savior. So if you feel inadequate, if you feel like you just never have the right words to say, remember that. that The Holy Spirit is at work as we share the Gospel. Number four, God opens doors. He opens doors. In Acts 14.27, we read that the missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, it says here, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, as I said earlier, no one comes to Jesus unless God draws. And what Paul and Barnabas saw then, they went out on these missionary journeys and they saw God opening doors. That's who God is. God loves to use us, his children, in the process of sharing the gospel. And what he does for us then, when we go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, he opens doors so that the gospel can fall on that fertile soil and produce produce a crop. Now, this is important because we are not the ones who kick the doors open. Again, if we have a wrong view of evangelism, a very man-centered view of evangelism, it can feel like we need to psych ourselves up and go over to that door and knock it down and then share the gospel with those people. But that sort of evangelism, if, if we're thinking about it as the analogy, that, would, that sort of evangelism doesn't work because God has to be the one who opens the door. We are not door kicker openers. Now, we do need to be bold, and we'll, we'll, we can get to that later. But what I want you to know now is that God is the one who opens doors for his gospel. Number five, God loves the lost. I hope you know this one. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now again, please note the word world in that. Who does God love? He loves the world. He loves the lost, sinful, rebellious people of the world and we were all among them at one time. He loves that person that you might think is way lost the person that you might think doesn't have any hope of coming to Christ. God loves that person. How much does he love? So much that he sent his son Jesus. Listen to Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just two verses later in that passage, it talks about how we were enemies of God. That's how much God loves. He loves sinners. He loves enemies. wants them to know Jesus. So please remember that as you think about the people that you want to share with. Sometimes we, our prayers sound like this. Oh God, I love this person so much. Would you please save them? It's fine to pray like that, but just remember, God loves that person way more than you do. Number six, God shows grace. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, grace you have been saved. Salvation is a gift from God. He doesn't save us because of our accomplishments or because of our stature or because of how good looking you are. He saves us because of His grace, because He loves us, because He loves to show His mercy to His creation. And then number seven, God sends messengers. In John 17, 18, Jesus was praying to the Father and he said this in his prayer, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He was praying for his disciples there. 
He said, God, you sent me into the world, now I'm sending them. And as that prayer goes on, and I showed you this either last week or a couple weeks ago, Jesus wasn't just praying for his disciples there. He was praying, as it said in verse 20, for all who would believe in him through their message. So I believe that Jesus is still at work sending his children, actually Jesus sending his brothers and sisters into the world to proclaim the gospel message. He is still sending us. And where is he sending us? Notice this again. Into the world. The gospel message is a message that God loves lost sinners and wants an eternally long relationship with them. God is deeply involved in this process of his gospel message going out. Evangelism can feel like us on an island. Like, okay, you know, it's time for me to do it. I better gear myself up for it. But please know that this is God's plan. He is at work long before we ever speak a word. His love is behind all that he does in it. And as, as Brian mentioned before, in 1 Timothy 2.4, it says that God wants all men to be saved. Do you believe all these things about God? I've just told you seven things that God does in evangelism. told you about his love. told you about how he wants all men to be saved. Do you believe those things about God? If so, I want to ask you an important question now as we transition into our second point. Do you believe that God can use you in that process? We might think, oh, who, who am I? You know, I, I don't have a gift. Uh, you know, I have all these, my own sins in my life. Wouldn't, wouldn't somebody else, well, sure, God can use Billy Graham to bring lost people to himself, but can he really use me? Who are we to doubt the power of God in this? The God who created the universe is able to use us and he loves to use us. God could get his gospel message out by lots of different means. I, you know, I, I've often said I, I wish there would be more neon signs. God could just drop a neon sign down from the sky, have somebody read it and come to know him. But God prefers to use us, his children, in this process. So as we move on to part B now, let's look at our part in evangelism. I want to read for you in this Colossians 4, 2 through 6. But I want to give you a little bit of the, the context of this. This is written by the Apostle Paul. The book of Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was somebody who, after his conversion, was so convinced of how good the gospel was that he gave his life for it, that he went around traveling on missionary journeys. His goal was to go further and further out to proclaim the gospel message to people who had not heard. It cost him a great deal. Shipwrecks, hunger, beatings imprisonment, as we'll see here. I want you to pick up on one of the words in this passage in Colossians 4.3. He talks about his chains. Paul was chained in prison as he was writing this letter, as he was asking for people to pray for him to be able to share the gospel message even more. He was literally chained. Paul's heart was such that he knew how good the gospel message was and was giving his life to proclaiming it. So that, that's who wrote this. I want to read it now. It, it, it helps us understand the, the, the first word here, the word devote, as we think about the, the guy who is writing this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Point number one under part B is that we are to be devoted to prayer. The command in this passage is that we are to be devoted to prayer. The command isn't even just that we pray, it's that we are to be devoted to prayer. Evangelism may seem like a scary thing to do, and believe me, I get that. I I maybe understand that as, as well as any of the rest of you out there. I know that it's scary. I know that it can be uncomfortable to talk to other people about God and sin and hell. But prayer isn't particularly scary. Every one of us can pray, and prayer is the first step in evangelism. It's our first step. God's doing all those other things beforehand. Prayer is our first step in evangelism. We can all pray, so let's do it. Let's pray for the people around us who may not know Jesus. And we're not judging them in that. We're just praying that they would know Jesus. And if they already know him, we pray that they would know him even better. Make a list. Pray regularly. Devote yourselves to praying for these people. I've got a a list. I actually have a physical list on my desk, and I also have a mental list of people that I'm constantly praying for. What should we pray for? Well, one of the things it says here that we can pray for is for open doors. Remember, God is the God who opens doors. That's what he does. That's his part in evangelism. He opens the doors. And if he opens the doors, then what should we be doing? We should be watching. That's why it says here, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. We need to watch for those doors that God is opening. God's waiting, I believe, for us to join with him in this process. He's waiting for us to say, God, I give myself to you so that you can use me to share the gospel. And as we pray for people, then I believe that he opens doors. And we need to be looking for those doors when they open. What does an open door look like? Well, it doesn't look like a door. That's an analogy. So it's it's helpful to think of it as an open door, but also we need to figure out what does it mean. There's another helpful analogy that I've heard very similar to open doors, and it's called testing the water. Let me use the analogy first, and then I'll explain it. In Christine's family, there's a lake place about 40, 45 minutes away from here north of Otter Tail Lake, and we want to teach our kids how to swim. Now, our, our kids kind of have a little bit of timidity to them, which I love, by the way. I'm, I'm glad that they're not just ready to jump off the deep end right away. But um, Last year, we were trying to teach Lydia how to swim. And you know how it works with a, with a little girl. She was one at that time. And we, we kind of hold her, and we kind of dip her toes in the water, and she screams. She doesn't, she doesn't want it. So we put her back on the shore. And then she starts to see other people having fun. Like She sees her brother you know, having a grand old time in the water. And she's like, okay, maybe I'll try this. So she, on her own, kind of walks into that water, gets her toes wet, and maybe gets her ankles wet, and then runs away, kind of scared again. But she keeps watching and seeing how fun it is. And, uh, and pretty soon, and she's got a life jacket on. We always have our kids in life jackets when they're around the water. But, but pretty soon then, she's like, okay, I'm going to do this more and more. And she starts walking in. And Lydia's a little bit more bold than Josiah was, so I wasn't quite ready for this. But one day, all of a sudden, she just trounced right in the water like a <laughs> Before I know it, she's up to her armpits, and she's, she's wading in this water where there's tons and tons of sunfish. I'm like, oh, no, I've got to get these sunfish away from her, otherwise they're going to bite her. But it was too late. I didn't get there in time, and uh, she, the, the sunfish started biting her. And, uh, and she hightailed it back onto the shore again. And that was the last time that we were at the lake last summer. So now this summer again, we're going to bring her, and we're going to let her keep on testing the waters. I think that's a helpful description because... We are to look for those 
those opportunities that God is giving us and we're to kind of put our foot in the water and we see that it's not so scary. And you know what? Yeah, there might be some sunfish lurking in that water, but you know what? We can handle that too. There's things that we can do. So as God opens the doors, we are to test the spiritual waters and to see how we can join with them. And I, wanna, I want you to hold on to this analogy then as we go on to the second point here. Because my second point is that we are to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. That's from verse 5 in our passage today, and it's the second command. There's two commands in this passage. The first one is that we be devoted to prayer. The second one is that we be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. And outsiders here isn't a derogatory term. It's just a term for those who don't yet know Jesus. The fact that we are to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders means that we are to interact with outsiders. I think we forget this one sometimes. We can get so caught up in our Christian circles that we forget to interact with outsiders. But we're supposed to do that. And we're supposed to be wise when we do that. And a helpful tip, again, is to test the waters. Let me give an example here, a more real-life example of what it looks like to test the waters. Let's say you've got a neighbor... And you've talked to your neighbor over the years about lots of things, about the weather, about gardening, about your kids' sports. Maybe it's time now to test the spiritual waters to figure out if God is opening a door. And there's some things that we can do. Here's a couple of tips. If you want to test the spiritual waters, you can say something like this to your neighbor. How are you doing in your relationship with God? Or, here's a good one, it's a pretty direct one, but I really like this one. It it oftentimes leads into wonderful conversations. Ask the question, if you were to die today, how sure are you that you would go to heaven? I I love that one, because usually I've found, I've asked that question to a lot of people, and I've found that people aren't usually offended by that. I've found that people will usually give a pretty honest answer to that. And if if there's some uncertainty in their answer it very well could be that that's your open door to say, would you, like to me, would you like for me to explain to you how it is that you can know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? To know what it is that he wants for, from us in regard to eternity. Or another thing that you can do with your neighbors is you can, you can invite them to church with you. Are we interacting with the lost? Again, it can be so easy for us Christians not to do this. Just to go from Christian friend to Christian friend to church and repeat the cycle. But we must be like Jesus. If we want to be his disciples, we need to be like him. And he came to seek and to save the lost. The Great Commission tells us to go and make disciples. We know what God does. I just told you seven things that he does. Now it's our part. Let's join with God in what he's doing. I was going to use the uh, baking cookies analogy that I've used before, but I I heard another analogy this week from one of my friends at basketball, actually, and uh, I want to use that analogy today. He said he was out in his yard carrying his ladder. He was was working and it was time to carry the ladder back to the garage. And he turned to his two-year-old daughter and he said, Would you like to help me? And, and you, know, you know how two-year-olds get when you ask them to help, like, oh boy, oh boy, can I? She ran up to the ladder and put her little fingers on the end of the ladder. He, so this, this big man carrying the ladder, he's grabbing the middle of it, he's doing all the work. But he asked his little daughter if she would help him. And, and I think that there's something to that in regard to the way that we do evangelism. God's the one who does the heavy lifting. He's the one who does the saving. Jesus already died on the cross. 
but yet God asks us to join with him in the process. And it's not just this nothing little job that he gives to us. Because we know that, according to Romans 10, that people come to faith by hearing the message of the gospel. So it is an important role that we play. But I think as we're doing that, it's helpful for us to remember that God is the one who's standing in the middle of that ladder carrying it. But he wants us, he loves for us to join with him in that. Now again, that's an analogy. What what does that look like in real life? It means that we take the initiative in sharing the gospel. It means that we be devoted to prayer and then we look for those opportunities and when we think that we might see an open door, we test the waters and we move the conversation into the spiritual arena. We, we start to talk to people and say, how you doing with God? Do you know what the Bible says about how we can have salvation through Jesus Christ? Paul prayed or he, he asked for prayer in this passage in verse 4. He said, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Notice that last part there. As I should. Paul felt compelled to share the gospel. Again, the gospel is so good that it must not be kept to ourselves. We're to share with God's love. And according to verse 6, we're to share with gracious words. So I'm not suggesting that you go to your neighbor today and you, you go up to the fence and you start yelling a fire and brimstone message to him. It says we're to do this with gracious words, seasoned with salt. And I, I, I believe what that means is that we're to figure out how people would like to hear it. Not that we change the content of the gospel. We still share the gospel, but we do it in such a way that they will hear it. And it says there at the end, so that we will know how to answer everyone. That's our goal. Anyone who doesn't yet know Christ, we're to be able to share the gospel with them so that they can get their answers. That's what it means to make the most of every opportunity. If God opens a door, let's be ready. Let's be watchful. Let's tell people about the gospel message. And then one more tip before I conclude. The gospel message demands a response. In John 3.36, it tells us there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those who receive Jesus Christ and those who reject him. As we share the gospel, eventually we need to bring people to this point of decision where we help them see that they must either receive or reject Jesus. And the way that I like to do that, and I've said it so many times here, and there's a reason I've said it so many times, because I want you to know it, and I want you to be able to communicate it to others, we can talk about Jesus as Savior and Lord. As we're sharing the gospel, we say to them, to receive Jesus is to know him as Savior, to know him as the one who took away your sins, to know him as the one who will forgive you if you ask him to. But then we must also receive Jesus as Lord because it's a package deal here. Jesus Christ is Lord, and to receive him, we must acknowledge him as Lord. We must give our lives to him. We must acknowledge that he's our king and that we are to follow him, giving our lives to him. Jesus started out his public ministry by telling people that the response he was looking for was repentance. Repenting from the place where we lead our own lives to the place where we give our lives to Jesus, receiving him as Savior and Lord. Here's my big idea and my conclusion for today. God wants people to be saved. God wants to use us in the process. According to 1 Timothy, it says, God wants all men to be saved. 
And we see from his word that he likes to use us in the process. God's done all that's necessary on his part. Jesus already died. The Holy Spirit is convicting people. The Father himself is drawing people to Jesus. So let's join with him and let ourselves be used by him. And as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about how thankful I am that somebody brought the gospel message to me. There are people, multiple people in my life who took the time and the effort to share with me. And I can stand before you right now and say I am so thankful that they did it. Sometimes we think that if we share the gospel with somebody, we're going to inconvenience them. That's not the way I feel about it. I'm thankful. I am so grateful, eternally grateful, that God sent people to me to share the gospel. Now it's our turn. Let's take this message of good news to other people that they might be saved. The reality, is the, gospel, uh, the reality of the gospel is that eternity hangs in the balance. Those who receive Jesus get to spend eternity with God in the perfect place where everything is perfectly taken care of. And those who reject Him spend eternity apart from God. The loving thing to do is to let people know that. So let's share the gospel. If we have a part to play, let's take our part seriously. Listen to how the preacher Charles Spurgeon took his part in sharing the gospel. He said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. I like that last part especially. Let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. To be a disciple is to become more like Christ. Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Our mission statement here at Cornerstone Church, a passion to know Christ, commissioned to make him known. Knowing Christ is what we do in our discipleship. And we must realize as part of our discipleship that we are like Jesus Christ, now sent into this world. We are commissioned to make him known. So let's share the gospel message with people. God wants people to be saved. God wants to use us in the process. Will you go? Will you give of yourselves to share this message with lost people? Before we pray, I just want to remind you again, lesson number six is on the back table. For each of these lessons in this series, there's an accompanying study guide, and I encourage you to pick it up and go through it with somebody. Let me pray. Father, we praise you once again for your mercy, your compassion, your grace to us, and probably most importantly, your love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we were enemies, but you reconcile us to you through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, so that we may have eternal life, so that we may have new life even here. As part of that new life here, Lord, I pray that we would realize that we are commissioned, we are sent to proclaim this gospel message. I pray that you would strengthen us. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. May we be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful in it, so that we might see the doors that you're opening. And may we be bold to go and share. May we be wise in the way we do that with gracious words. But Lord, I pray that we would join with you, realizing that you do so much of that work. But I pray that we would do what you have asked us to do, to be your messengers, to proclaim the gospel message. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.